Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a national holiday commemorating Dr. King's birthday. There will be memories of Dr. King and the civil rights movement he led in the 1960s today, and many will use the holiday as a day of service to their communities. However, generations of Americans have grown up since Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4, 1968. They may not know what he did and what he stood for. Joining us today is Joseph Robinson, Jr., a community leader himself and president of the Martin Luther King, Jr. Leadership Development Institute. Mr. Robinson talks to us today about Dr. King, the man, the myth, and the martyr. Joe Robinson, always good seeing you. Hey, Scott. Good to be here with you as, as well, my friend. This is a presentation you've made on Martin Luther King Day many times. Yes. The man, the myth, the martyr. Where did that title come from and what does it describe? Well, the, the purpose of that uh, presentation is to really uh, take a, a, a look at the man, Dr. King, the man. Sometimes we tend to mythologize uh, this man to the point where we forget how human he really was. And so the purpose of the presentation was to show that he was a man like all of us. And, the, and why is that important? Because it lets us know that we have within us the same capability to do some great things. Uh, uh, because as Dr. King said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And so we start right there with saying, let's talk about the man. And then let's talk about some of the mythology surrounding him. Uh, um, that, that tends to lionize him and, and water down true, his true impact. And then certainly we want to talk about, uh, the, the, you know, so we talk about his message, we talk about the man, and, and, uh, and we talk about the fact, of course, as you alluded to, his assassination in 1968. All right, so let's talk about the man, Martin mm -hmm. Luther King. Often in history, his early life, before he started leading the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s. It's kind of glossed over. That's Tell right. us about his, uh, his, his childhood and, yes. and the development of the man. Sure. Well, first of all, we have to understand uh, where he came out of. He came out of a family of, of preachers. His father was a pastor, so he was nurtured by this uh, preacher father. His mother played organ for the church. Uh, his grandparents were, were, were preachers. So he came from a, from, first of all, from that experience. And, and so he grew up, uh, uh, I, I think he had, uh, it was, he was one of four. I think he had an, a, a brother, uh, uh, one of three, I'm sorry, one of three. So, so, so they grew up, you know, a uh, middle-class family in Atlanta, Georgia. His father you know, was prominent. His father was a strong advocate for civil rights as well. So he had all of that in his background. He, had, he grew up with a father who also stood up for equality. And so that shaped him. And, and this young man went to school at a young age. I mean, he went to Morehouse College there in Atlanta where he lived. 
graduating high school at 15, graduating college at 19, getting his Ph.D. by 26. I mean, it makes you feel like an underachiever, Scott, you know? <laughs> he, and he actually uh, had some education here in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Crozier, Crozier Theological Seminary prior to that. After he left Morehouse, he went to Crozier. That's right, sir, and uh, got his uh, uh, divinity degree there in Chester, Pennsylvania, and, and then to to Boston University for his Ph.D. So what inspired him? You mentioned his father. Was his, his father's inspiration? Was it ed his education? Or just his life experiences that inspired him to lead the nation, become mm -hmm. the iconic <laughs> civil rights leader? It's funny you should say that. Now, I'll tell you, uh, I, 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 I wrote a book as well titled uh, uh, Seven Leadership Imperatives from a Wild Man. And, and it's not a shameless plug, but it's just I want to make the point that in the book I reference a comment from Andy Young who says that Martin, everything Martin got into, we had to push him into it. Martin was a reluctant leader, to be honest. He, he had his own aspirations of becoming a, a pastor and perhaps even a professor at a university. So we all have our own designs for our lives, but, you know, as uh, I guess it was John Lennon says, uh, life is what happens to you while you're busy making plans. And so he had his own plans, but but what happened? He got thrust into the movement. He got thrust into to for you know, as I said for such a time as this. He was well trained, well educated, uh, very articulate. We know that. And then when he took over that pastorate in Montgomery, Alabama, and moved into that town. Uh, at that time, for oh many years, the Women's uh, Political Committee with Joanne Robinson, professor at, uh, at, uh, uh, at uh, Alabama State, they had all been advocating for change, uh, 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 dealing with the whole issue of the way women in particular were treated by bus drivers, et cetera, uh, police and everything. And so uh, this is a, a movement that had, been, had had some legs probably 10 years prior to his arrival. But when he got there... Uh, and Rosa Parks was arrested, and she was the fourth person that had been arrested, but she was the one who they chose to make the poster child, if you will. For not giving up her seat for on the bus. For not giving up her seat on the bus, that's correct. Uh, she then, th that galvanized that whole community, and they said, well, we need to form an organization, and we need a leader to lead the organization, and they tapped this new young erudite pastor from, uh, from Dexter Avenue Baptist Church to lead the movement. And that's how he got thrust into leadership. And so he rose to the occasion, and and, uh, and the rest we know is history. But it did not go without its own challenges, uh, if you read his life story. You know, he, he, he vacillated and, and had a lot of ang ang angst behind that decision. But he stayed the course. Was he an introvert? I mean, that is so interesting because <laughs> we look back at the speeches, right. we read about Dr. Right. King, and you assume that, you know, this was a man comfortable in That's front right. of people That's and right. making these iconic speeches and <laughs> inspiring people. That's and right. from what you're describing, with him having to be pushed at it, that's right. Th that that's so unusual. That's right. And he, he was he was the kind of guy he he loved he, he was very jovial. He loved to laugh. He loved to have fun. But he was uh, he didn't have to be the center of attention. Uh, he, he wasn't the life of the party. But he loved to have fun. He, and he loved to shoot pool too. And uh, he, uh, he, a lot of times, even when they were strategizing, sitting in a room, all of his uh, 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 compadres might be sitting around 
debating and arguing how we want to proceed, and he's sitting there quietly just processing everything. So he didn't always try to take up all the air in the room. So to your point about, I wouldn't say he was introverted, but he's very reflective, you know, and very thoughtful, uh, but 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 very personable. He loved people. He loved. He definitely loved people. He loved being around people. He loved being around common, everyday people. That's why I said he loved shooting pool and uh, and uh, uh, even 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 learned to to smoke cigarettes when he got to college. When he got to uh, Crozier's Theological Seminary, he learned to smoke cigarettes and and uh, and uh, taste alcohol. The Montgomery bus boycott mm-hmm. that was led by Dr. King yes. uh, after Rosa Parks was uh, arrested for not giving up her seat to Correct. a white bus rider. Um, that brought national attention to him. Where did it lead from the bus boycott? So after the bus boycott, uh, what it did was uh, uh, empower uh, movements in other parts of the country that were already ongoing, but this just kind of brought some national attention to it. And so then he began to because of his celebrity and notoriety, began to get invited into other communities to uh, uh, share not only the methodology that they use in Montgomery, but also opportunities for him to share his his philosophy, if you will, uh, to different audiences all over the country. He spoke, Scott, he would give anywhere from 350 to 400 speeches a year. That's more than a speech a day. I mean that you know because of that, and so that was that was so so that's where he went from there, uh, going wherever he was asked to, to to help out, and he even tried to come up north and try some things, and it didn't work out so well. He found a different breed of uh, resentment, a different uh, breed of uh, contention in some of the northern cities, particularly in Chicago. And that was Dion from 1968, after the assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King, and actually after the assassination of Senator Robert Kennedy as well. On this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, our guest today is uh, Joe Robinson, who is the president of the Martin Luther King Leadership Development Institute. We're talking about Dr. Martin Luther King, the man, the myth, and the martyr, after Dr. King was arrested and letters that he wrote. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, in particular, the uh, the letter from Birmingham jail, that was a seminal document in my estimation because that document uh, was a letter that was written in response. He had been arrested uh, in Birmingham because of the protests. And, in, and, and what happened was there were a group of clergymen who put out a public letter in the newspaper suggesting that Dr. King and others were coming in as interlopers uh, uh, to Birmingham and that they were moving too fast, that they were misguided, et cetera, asking them to be patient, et cetera. And Dr. King, uh, and basically these eight, eight pastors, these clergy, tried to, um, tried, tried to um, minimize what he was doing and discredit his efforts, suggesting that uh, that was anti-religious, uh, anti-clerical, what he was trying to do. And what we, we have a clip here of Dr. King reading a portion okay. of, of, of one of those letters. But as Ryan Holniba has reminded us, 
groups tend to be more immoral than individuals. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. What do you think, Joe, when you hear that? That letter itself was, uh, while he was incarcerated, he, after, he felt compelled to uh, respond to this open letter that this clergyman had put in the newspaper. And so he, sitting in jail without any manuscripts, without any, any of his literature, any of his uh, resource, reference materials. He had nothing at his disposal, and yet from his mind, he created this masterful letter, and he wrote it on scraps of paper, and any visitors who came to visit with him, he would slip it out. And that's how the the letter actually got composed and, and ultimately published. What that recording we just heard was recorded uh, long after he had been released because the letter had reached such prominence that he needed to put it, uh, actually do a recording of it at that time. But what that says, says to me, that particular segment that you just played, speaks about this notion of don't be in such a hurry. Why don't you all wait? That's what you always heard. Uh, it, change will come eventually. But Dr. King often reminded us, he said, change seldom rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. You have to be intentional if you want to bring about change. And so that was uh, that clip as he was addressing those who said, you all are just pushing too fast. You need to wait. And he said, you know, justice uh, delayed is often just justice denied. You know, I'm, I'm going to bring this up because, you know, looking back on the history, uh, Dr. King differed from some other civil rights leaders at the time, Malcolm X in, in particular. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X was one of those people that Dr. King was somewhat critical of because he did push too fast mm-hmm. and didn't endorse nonviolence like Dr. King, correct? Well, let me let me just clarify that a little bit, Scott. Just put a little uh, fine point on that. Dr. King and Malcolm uh, had two different approaches, no question about it, uh, but they both evolved over time. They both started at different, at polar opposites, if you will. Malcolm was extremely... Uh, nationalistic and uh, and and had no regard uh, for had a severe distrust of of the sincerity of, of white America to really take black people seriously. Now, again, remember both of their experiences. Dr. King came out of this middle class preacher family. Malcolm came up uh, poorer. He saw his father killed by 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 uh, white vigilantes, and so they both. Their lives were both shaped differently. Malcolm spent some time in jail. King did not. So they had different experiences. Malcolm got converted to the Muslim faith while in prison. And so they had different backgrounds, different journeys, if you will. But Malcolm tended to be more strident than Dr. King. Dr. King, uh, Malcolm, let me also say that Dr. King was opposed to 
anything that that that's purported uh, violence. He was a non. He believed in nonviolence and the power of nonviolence. Malcolm used to say, you know, by any means necessary. But what, but but what King never really criticized Malcolm per se. Malcolm was often taking shots at King, but King didn't really uh, fire shots back at him. But he just continued to preach what he believed about nonviolence. What about Dr. King, the myth? Well, the myth is this: is uh, uh, the myth is the myth of his message. Uh, unfortunately, mo- most people, many not most, some people, particularly if I may say it, uh, there, there, there's a there's a group. Uh, I would say some conservatives who would like to contend that Dr. King's entire uh, 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 mission in life was to uh, was to do just what that one line says in his "I Have a King Dream" speech at Washington, where he said, "I dream about the day when my children, my four little children, will be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character." And so there's there's a group of people who have lifted that line. And have said this is what Dr. King stood for, and they've su- suggested that that's all uh, he stood for, that that's all he was after, and so therefore they would say, therefore Dr. King would never be for any preferential treatment because he believed you should be judged by the content of your character and not the color of your skin. So therefore, Dr. King would not be for affirmative action. Dr. King would not be for helping those who are unfortunate because he believed you should be judged by the continuity of character. And that's just such a false uh, uh, interpretation of everything this man stood for. And that's why that letter from a Birmingham jail is so important because it in, 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 in very succinctly lays out his entire philosophy. In that response to, that, to those clergymen, he lays out his entire philosophy. And if you've not taken time to read it, it'll take you about 40 minutes, if you've not taken time to read that entire letter, then you still do not fully understand the intent and the philosophy and ethos of Dr. King. Dr. King became a martyr when he was mm-hmm. murdered in Memphis. I want That's to play, right. uh, uh, again, one of uh, his most famous and iconic speeches. It was from April 3rd, 1968, and let's listen. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Now that speech always gives me chills. Yes. Especially the timing of it. It was on April 3rd, 1968. Uh, Dr. King was murdered the next day at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, April 4th, 1968. Uh, the context of that speech is uh, maybe everyone, as you said, there's many people who, who weren't around when Dr. King lived, but but that speech was on the occasion of a of a protest in Memphis on behalf of garbage workers who who didn't have uh, unionized rights and they and and some had been killed, and that's what brought him to Memphis uh, in response to. A, a plea to come to Memphis to help those striking garbage workers get better 
uh, uh, rights and, and better safety uh, uh, job conditions. And so he went to, 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 to Memphis for that sole purpose. And so there was a rally uh, that night uh, to prepare for the march uh, that, uh, uh, that was soon to follow. And it was there at, at that uh, Mason Temple in, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, that he gave that speech. And that was what we what you just heard was a crescendo uh, of a speech. But he but in that speech, he took great pains to talk about and encourage the people to one to stay together and be unified. Number two, never lose sight of the purpose of why we are here, and that's for the purpose of justice. And and and, uh, and he said we don't ever lose sight of that. That we're here, to, we have to be unified. We have to. Uh, uh, we're here for justice. And thirdly, we have to uh, have a strategy with our direct action. We're not just here just to march, but we're also going to look at ways that we can maybe economically impact the, the, the Memphis, just like we impacted Montgomery when we boycotted the buses. Mm. Joe, we only have a minute left. Yes. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. And it is very difficult to yes, describe Dr. Martin Luther King's <laughs> legacy in less than a minute. Well, I'm a... But what is that legacy? Dr. King's legacy, I would say, is Dr. King was an advocate of nonviolence. He preached nonviolence. He believed that nonviolence was a way to win the hearts of people. He said that uh, unearned suffering is redemptive. And what that means is when you, are, when you suffer uh, 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 abuse, uh, it affects your oppressor. Uh, and, 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 and it redeems them because his into- whole intent is to reconcile everyone together. That was a, that whole notion of the beloved community is how can we come together and get to the point where we reconcile uh, with one another. So that was his whole intent. And that's, 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 that's what he was about ultimately. And that required, that means I cannot be, as he said, I cannot be all the, that I'm to be until you are all that you are to be. And so it wasn't just about uh, uplift of blacks only. It was uplift of everyone, but certainly that did not exclude uh, uh, the Negro or the blacks uh, when he was uh, uh, leading the movement. Joe Robinson is the president of the Martin Luther King Jr. Leadership Development Institute. Joe, always good talking with you. Thank you very much. We learned a lot today. Thank you, sir. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar.